Hello, and welcome to More Than Words, a podcast about treating the whole child brought to you by the Reading and Language Learning Center. Each episode, we bring in a wide variety of experts from psychologists to clinicians to provide you with resources to use on the journey to helping your child or client. I'm your host, Tristan, and today we will be talking to Adrian Yates about wellness and managing anxiety. Hi, Adrian. How are you? I'm very well, Tristan, and you too, I hope. Yes, doing great. We're excited to have you here. No, I'm so thrilled to be here. It's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to have a chat. So I'm looking forward to it. Yes, as am I. So I'm just going to have you start out by telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, I think my accent will probably betray the fact that I'm not uh, I'm not local <laughs> to the US. Um, but personally, I'm, I'm actually the middle of nine children. Um, I'm married to the lovely Liz. I have three kids, a boy and two daughters. Um, and I studied international marketing with a major in German at university. And I've been working in business for over 30 years now with companies like Xerox, Nissan. And I spent um, 20 years at Volvo Car Corporation. Wow. <laughs> mm. But I'm not that old. I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> The second thing I'm going to have you do is tell us where people can actually find you. You said you're not local to the U.S. And then also um, where can people find you online if they're looking for like a website or something? Sure. Uh, well, I actually live in Dublin, but it's not Dublin, Ohio. <laughs> it's, the, it's the original Dublin in the Emerald Isle of Ireland. Lovely. So uh, that's that's where I'm coming from today. And uh, I have my own company called Lizado Services. And uh, my web address is www.lizado.ie. Perfect. I'll pop that in the show notes for everyone to find you. Great. Amazing. Well, let's just hop right into talking about wellness and anxiety and how to manage that. Um First thing, which is a hot topic, has been for about two years now, um, is COVID. You know, it's placed a lot of anxiety in and in, um, into all of our lives. So, if you could, can you tell us a little bit about how COVID may amplify anxious ways? Yeah. Um, well, the reality is, early on in our existence, human beings developed a protection system uh, called a stress response, and that was designed to keep us safe from physical danger. And it's commonly known as the flight or fight response. People might know it more commonly as that. It's actually a, an automatic reaction. And when it's triggered, the brain releases stress hormones like adrenaline or cortisol um, into the body to prime it to either fight or run away as, as fast as you can. And originally, uh, when the threat had passed, the body would switch back into its what was called its rest and digest status, so a much more relaxed and uh, calm version. The difficulty has been that over the, the centuries and so on, the modern threats are more likely to be psychological in nature rather than physically. And unfortunately, that pr primitive part of our brain, it can't tell the difference between what's real and what's imagined. And as a consequence, then, when we have fearful thoughts, our bodies don't return to rest and digest and we stay stressed, which, you know, basically causes the anxiety then. Right. And we know that anxiety thrives in uncertainty and fear. Mm -hmm. And that's why COVID has had such a de detrimental impact on our lives. Right. Wow. Okay. So what are some of the coping mechanisms that parents and children can use? 
Well, first and foremost, it's really important to recognize that stress and anxiety are a very normal part of life and play an important part in our survival and our ability to perform at a high level. So in these COVID times, due to the risks uh, and the uncertainty, we're all anxious. So if it's not a contradiction, try not to worry if you're feeling worried. <laughs> because it's, an, you know, it's a normal response to what's going on. Right. Um, the coping mechanisms that can help to neutralize those stress hormones that I mentioned earlier and bring us back into um, rest and digest, they can include regular exercise. So maybe taking a, a 20 minute walk every day if you can, or something that you enjoy doing uh, in, in terms of for your body, because that releases endorphins into your system. And those endorphins can neutralize the cortisol and the adrenaline, which over time can be harmful if they, if they stay in your system. Right. Spending time in nature, if you have that opportunity, it's really, really good to get out into nature. Uh, and we all know because we're, you know, we're basically made up of chemicals and so on inside. A healthy diet is really, really important mm -hmm. that you're getting the right uh, fuel into your system. Good sleep hygiene is something that we, I think we all struggle with during COVID or whenever yeah. we're anxious. The first thing we notice is it's, it's, it's hard to get to sleep. And that can even mean just, you know, doing away with or shutting down earlier on screen time, for example, mm. you know, where we're forced. I mean, we're doing this interview over 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 Zoom, for example. So right. a lot of people are working remotely. So they're, they're on laptops or PCs all day. Then they switch to their TV and all the time they have their mobile phone in their hands. And that kind of light, that blue light, it's called, that, that can affect the circadian rhythm in your brain, which, uh, you know, can prevent you from going off to sleep. So try and, um, you know, have a plan to go to sleep. Do you know what I mean? Set a time, go, go to bed at that time all the time yeah. uh, as best you can. But, you know, maybe an hour beforehand, get rid of all the, uh, all the distractions and let your body slow down. Uh, and then you'll find you'll be able to sleep a little bit better. Another very, very good thing you can do, because it's all to do with your thoughts in this case, your thoughts drive your emotions and your emotions drive your behavior. So if you're having fearful thoughts, you're going to end up behaving anxiously. Mm -hmm. So a way to counteract that is through mindfulness or meditation. Both of those things will slow down your racing mind and they'll ground you. They'll bring you into the moment and allow you to deal with what's in front of you. So there's a good number of things there. And that's, you know, the positive side is there's actually lots you can do uh, for anxiety. Yeah. Wow. It sounds, um, it sounds very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Accessible. It sounds Accessible. like, um, yeah. Absolutely. Right. And like the key thing, Tristan, is that people need to realize that those things are all there, but you have to plug into them. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, you need to make a conscious decision to say, you know, I have so much to do, but I could really benefit from a 20 minute break right. and go for a walk and get into nature if you can. But by doing that for yourself, you're replenishing the energy that that, that stress sucks out of your system. Right. And so when you come back to your tasks, you're, you're, you know, you're in a much better position to actually get through them. A lot of people think when they have so much to do, they have to work longer and harder. But actually, the longer they work, the less capable they are of dealing with the, the subject matter. So it's so important to take regular breaks. And like I say, if you can build in one of the coping mechanisms as part of that, you can do a five-minute meditation. How nice is that? Yeah. But you have to do it consciously. Right. Um, it's not, it's not going to happen. you got to plan it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, talking about 
we, I mentioned parents and also children. So um, do parents ever transfer their own fears to their kids? And if so, how does that create pressure for the children? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in general, as parents, we play such a huge role in the development of our children. And, you know, unlike most mammals, human offspring spend a disproportionate amount of time living with their families. You know, other other beasts or birds, you know, you're kicked out of the nest at six months old or, <laughs> you know, um, particularly in the in, in the African plains and so on, uh, you know, once uh, uh, let's say a, a baby giraffe can walk for itself it's got to go feed itself and it's going to do all the things for itself right. and, and any animal of prey or bird of prey you know they spend a certain amount of time learning how to uh, you know get their food and once they know that off they go yeah. but you know we can be 20 30 years <laughs> uh, in the nest as such so what that means is uh, when when humans are growing up you know as children the parents are their role models and they look to the parents basically for direction and support. Um, however, due to their limited life experience, they can become anxious more easily than adults. And therefore, they look for us to try and, you know, reassure them in those situations. And kids have a, a highly, uh, they've highly developed senses. So they can often recognize when things aren't how they should be. Right. Okay. And as a consequence of that, if we're if the, if the kid is anxious and we're also behaving anxiously, that's going to heighten their distress. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we can pass our, our fears on to them. And that can have effects later on because anxiety of itself, like I said, is a survival mechanism. It's, it's just a response. But if you are brought up in an atmosphere where it's fearful all the time, that's what develops into an anxiety disorder. And, right. you know, then you got to get support to help you through that because it's essentially an illness then. So, you know, parents have a, a big responsibility in that regard. So we need to make sure that we're managing our anxiety better um, and using some of the self-care techniques that we just mentioned uh, earlier. Um, the other thing that we have that kids don't have is we have a superpower. And I call that superpower, fake it till you make it. <laughs> A good superpower. <laughs> and we should use that accordingly to reassure the younger ones because we have that life experience. So we, we, you know, even if we're feeling fearful ourselves, we can actually mask that from our kids. Right. No, we, we, you don't tell your kids, you, you know, you don't sit down at their level and tell them about the crappy day you had at work and all <laughs> the stress you're under and the bills that are coming in the door. Right. You know, that's part of our job is to shield them from, you know, the more distressing parts of living because they're too young and you know it, it doesn't need to affect them at this moment in time so similarly if there's anxiety around the place uh being calm is infectious so if if you can't like if you haven't had an opportunity to, to ground yourself um and and you know get back into that rest and digest just pretend you are the yeah. kid won't the kid won't be able to tell the difference. Right. So, you know, they, they'll be under pressure if, 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 if we look like we're under pressure. Right. So, you know, the, the, the obvious thing to do is to try and manage ourselves better with the accessible um, tools that are there. Uh, and in the absence of those, don't be afraid to, you know, put on a smile because um, smiles, as we know, are infectious as well. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, you mentioned that, you know, an, an anxious household will bring anxiety and might cause anxiety disorders, right? Yeah. So 
let's say a parent starts to notice like very anxious behaviors in their child, when should they start to worry about anxiety in their own children and maybe start to seek help? Yeah, that's that's actually a great question. And, um, you know, the answer is it's the same for adults as it is for kids. Um, basically, um, you know, going back to what I said earlier, stress and anxiety of themselves are not bad. Okay. Right. It's only when it's not managed and it, it carries on for a significant period of time that it becomes a disorder. So the problems begin when you're not balancing your body with the positive coping mechanisms that we discussed. Okay. That will see you um, moving from stress to chronic stress or from anxiety to the anxiety disorder. And how you recognize this is when that stress or anxiety, and it's the same for the kid, interferes with the way you normally live your life. Okay. So that can affect the way you, you, you care for your kids, other relationships in the household, or even how you go about your work. Uh, you know, how you're managing at work. So the key element here is noticing the change. Behavior will change. So that's what you're looking for, either for yourself or for your kids. So say, for example, uh, you know, you should be able to see when your kids' demeanor changes, you know, if they're normally happy-go-lucky and suddenly they're very quiet and withdrawn. Um, That's a sign that there's something going on there. Mm -hmm. And you need to, you know, tease that out as to what's going on. Um, They may become more difficult to manage, you know, maybe not responding to direction as they normally would. You know, it's time for bed now. I'm not going to bed. I'm not going to put on my pajamas, you know, and they they kind of are are fighting with you all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's that's change in behavior. Um, Or, you know, if they... um, stop doing things that they normally enjoy. So you're just looking out for little signals like that. Um, You know, they might be more tearful um, or or scared, you know, just demonstrating that they're they're scared. So that's when you you should really start to, um, you know, pay close attention there and and get behind what's actually causing that anxiety as best you can. Okay. Okay. Right. So, is there a difference between how children experience anxiety versus how adults experience anxiety? Well, there is actually, yes, there is. Um, I think I alluded to earlier that because of their age, um, kids are more susceptible to anxiety because when you think about it, everything is new for them. So I often use the example of a thunderstorm. We're so used to thunderstorms. In fact, sometimes we use it as nature's entertainment for us. It's it's great to sit on a balcony and watch the lightning and hear the thunder and the rain crashing down. You know, it's a, it's almost like a natural symphony. Yeah. So, you know, it can be a fun thing. Um, but kids, if they haven't heard one before, you're going to be scared of what's new. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they may be anxious for the first couple of times. So that's why they need the support of adults who can not only comfort them, but you can also explain to them what's happening so that the next time it occurs, they don't have to be afraid. Right. Okay. So that's the key thing, you know, because a lot of the, you know, like I said earlier about anxiety, it's, it's often about, um, it's two key things. It's about uh, uncertainty mainly and not having control over what's going to happen. And then, the negative thoughts coming in and creating that stress response through our thinking process right. that fires off the uh, the response. So kids will will, will 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 probably be generally anxious more often. But it's you know it's it's like I say it's the good it's the good anxiety because you know they hear a loud thunderclap or a you know a really loud um, 
flash of lightning or whatever it might be, that's scary. Right. Uh, the first time. Uh, and then after a while, they get used to it. So, yeah, uh, yeah no, they do. They, they will experience it different, different, differently. And that's where, again, if you know, if we're not geared up in ourselves to be able to give them that reassurance, that's how we can transfer our, our, our fears to the kid. So, you know, they might grow up with, a you know, an unnatural fear of loud noises then. Right. You know, and then that affects how they how they, how they move around in their own life because it's something that goes back to, um, you know, their early childhood. Right. Okay. Very interesting. Um, my next question for you was, what are some warning signs parents should be looking for? But I think we touched on yeah. that. Um, yeah. yeah, but. But the only thing I would add into it, though, Tristan, is that um, it can be because you know, you're looking out for changes all the time. The way society works nowadays and some of the pressures that parents are under is you're maybe not in the home all the time mm. or, you know, you might be working shifts or whatever and you're not always around to see these changes. So it's really important um, if you don't get a chance to uh, observe, you know, their appetite or how they're sleeping or, or whatever it will be, um, don't be afraid to ask for feedback from school, for right. example. Uh, because teachers will, will will recognize these things as well, uh, or else maybe you know if you do um, a carpool or something like that with with their friends, maybe you could say to their parents, you know, how has Adrian been the last couple of weeks? I, I, you know, I've noticed something at home, but have you seen anything? Yeah. So you know, you, you don't just depend on yourself. You know, the people who your kid spends time with as well, you know, generally will be looking out for them too. So they'll be only too happy to share that with you. Yeah. That's very good advice. Um, definitely to reach out to your your community around your kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a lot of families don't like labels and there's a stigma that surrounds the word anxiety. So what would you say to someone concerned with that label? Yeah, well, you've you've hit a you've hit a big topic for me. Um, you know, I think stigma is uh, you know, it's a really, really dangerous thing and it's a very um how can I say it's something that prevents people from getting help when they really, really need it because right. they don't want people to know. And, you know, when you go back to, I think it was in Roman times that people were actually branded like physically with a hot iron oh. if you were a criminal. <laughs> oh my so you were, you were therefore marked out and that's where stigma comes from. It's a ah. mark of disgrace uh, and that you're separated. And that's why when people hear about, you know, mental health illnesses or, you know, anxiety disorders or whatever it might be, they don't want to have that label because they don't want to be ostracized. They don't want people to judge them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think the labels that are out there, you know, we need to, we need to lose those labels um, because all they do is they drive stigma. Right. Even the language we use sometimes. You know, you could think about, um, you know, the traffic today was insane. Mm. You know, people say that, you know, or, oh, I met a crazy, I uh, had a crazy experience in the store today. Right. You know, or, you know, just that sort of stuff that just creeps into general. Um, or, you know, you could say about, um, let's say, pick a name, but, uh, let's say about Jane. Oh, Jane's, uh, you know, you, she's a real schizo. You never know what you're going to get. She's, right. you know, 
calm one day and she's a disaster the next day. But it's, you know, it's using those labels in a very incorrect way. And generally what's happening there is, is that that's coming from a place where there's a lack of understanding mm-hmm. about mental illness, but there's also a, a generalized fear in the population that, you know, people are afraid of, uh, you know, particularly people with psychosis. Mm you know, through media and movies and all the rest of it, you know, you Mm -hmm. would think that, you know, someone who's having a psychotic episode is really, really dangerous. But the reality is they're probably more dangerous to themselves than anybody else. Right. And, you know, it's just... That though that sort of uh, labeling, um, you know, it, it really is. It's it's very very detrimental. And what I'm very pleased about is uh, by having conversations like we're having now and sharing them with other people, you can actually normalize. So I'm using the the two finger quotes that you can't see on a podcast, <laughs> but um, you know, anxiety is normal, like I say. And once you start talking openly about things. One, it becomes instructional and educational so Mm -hmm. people can understand better. They can also realize that, you know, loose use of language can perpetuate stigma. So maybe they'll change their behavior in that way as well. Um, um, You know, and I think that's as best you can do is just get it out into the open and stop it being such a, you know, a negative thing. Because Mm -hmm. after all, we all struggle with anxiety. Right. Every day, everybody has something that's going to knock them down. Then they got to dust themselves off and move on. So anxiety is something that we all live with. But like I say, it only becomes a problem when we're not rebalancing our bodies and it develops then into a disorder. Right. Um, and that's why I think for me, the idea that people are concerned with the labels means they're not going to get the help that they need. Yeah. And what I want to say, uh, maybe as a, a final throwaway, is to say that always remember it's okay not to feel okay. And it's definitely okay to ask for help. Yeah. That's very important. So I'm glad we're driving that home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was my last question for you. But I don't know if you have any other things that you want to share or any, I don't know, fun things you want to share too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fun things. No, there's lots of fun things. I mean, that's the, the one thing that I would say is, is that, um, you know, when it comes to mental health and when it comes to your own or particularly when you're looking after other people, um, number one is self-care. Mm-hmm. You know, we know we all know about, you know, if you're flying, they always tell you when the oxygen mask comes down to put your own mask on first. Right. That's for a very good reason. Um, and oftentimes we get the sense that self-care is selfish. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely not true. If we're not doing the things that make us smile, make us relax, or forget about our worries for a little while, we're not going to be in a position to do our work, to do our play, to manage our relationships uh, in in any positive way. So, you know, it's really, really important to do that. And, you know, I just think because we're all individual, we all have different ways of doing that. So, you know, one of the things I've found down through the years is there's no magic wand, there's no silver bullet, you know, often, you know, we look at problems in society, like going to the doctor and getting the prescription, you know, mm-hmm. I've got a headache, give me something to get my, make my headache go away. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, it's flick of a switch, a switch stuff. That's not the way mental health works. Right. You know, usually if you get into a stress situation, it's taken a little bit of time to get into it. So it's going to take a little bit of time to get out of it. Yeah. And by understanding that, you don't get uh, disheartened 
Um, you know, because often if it's not happening quickly, um, you just know that if you stick with it, it will. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's no, you know, I can't, I'd love to be able to pass a card to people and say, there you go. If you follow that, everything will be wonderful <laughs> in your world. Um, so, you know, remember, you know yourself best. So just think about what is it that does bring a smile to your face? What sort of activities do you do that, you know, help you to forget about the day-to-day stuff? Because as we've said, anxiety can't live in the now. You know, anxiety is something that lives in the future. It's based on fear. It's based on uncertainty. And it's how we think things might happen. And as human beings, we're unfortunately, uh, we're hardwired to see the negative the downside. Um, and, you know, often that is become self-limiting then. And we pass it on to others, like we spoke about with anxiety to kids. You know, I might say to you, you know, I'm going to uh, learn how to fly. And you're going to go, what? You can never learn how to fly. You're not fit enough or, you know, it's very expensive, so you can't afford it. So what are right. you even going there for? You know, and we tend to shoot things down, mm-hmm. you know, when people come up with their dreams and we, we, we trample all over them. So, uh you know, it's important to have things that you know you want to do. And if you want to do them, go for it. Yeah. That's awesome advice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate the um, all the coping mechanisms, especially, um, but just getting this out there because I think people definitely need to hear it. And like you said, the more we talk about it, the more it becomes a normal conversation for people to have um, and for people to not feel like they have to hide anything that they're feeling. So we really appreciate you, appreciate you coming on and chatting with us today. It's been my absolute pleasure. And uh, who knows, we might do it again sometime. That'd be awesome. All righty. Well, thank you to the audience for listening. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a little rating and review. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.